This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Hi, Raw Beauties. I am so excited to have a woman who has caught my eye for a couple of years now with all of the incredible things that she is working on. Her name is Hero, and she is a registered clinical counselor. She is the founder of the Vancouver Brain Lab. I mean, she started so many incredible programs to support and help women and human beings to really flourish in their life. And we are so lucky to have her here today to dive into a conversation about positive psychology. So Hero, welcome. Thank you so much. As I was saying, such a treat to have this time ahead of us to be together. So you have a beautiful accent because you spent a lot of your life living in Italy, in Venice. I have a beautiful accent because I am Italian and I spent most of my life in Italy. I was born and raised in Venice, that's right. There is a competition between Italians around which is the most beautiful city. So <laughs> we Venetians feel like Venice is the most beautiful one. Oh. And then I traveled and lived in several European countries. And then seven years ago, I moved to Vancouver, Canada. How incredible is that? You were working for a company that everybody who's listening to right now knows. We won't name it, but if you can finish this movie title, The Devil Wears, we'll just leave it there. You were working for this company and then made a massive shift in your life. Now, for a lot of people listening, they were like, you were working there in Venice, the most like beautiful place on earth. How did you all of a sudden switch over to, you know, sitting and listening to people talk about their patterns and their struggles and their difficulties. What led you and inspired you to follow this new career path? <laughs> Such a good question. Um, I was working for Prada at the moment and lots of the conversations when you work in the fashion industry revolve around the right shade of taupe. The shade of mustard. And after a few years, you feel the brain rusting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't doing it for you. The, at least that was my experience. Mostly, it's funny that today we have set for us the sort of the goal to speak about positive psychology, but the driving force of this big shift in my life was pain was acknowledging that I was in pain. I had suffered some remarkable trauma in my teenage years and that pain sort of traveled and came with me even in the most fancy, <laughs> you know, working environment. I remember watching a TED talk that spoke about positive psychology. It's a master's program in London. It was this psychology speaking about the layers of well-being and psychological well-being and that did it for me mm. I thought that's what I want to do I don't know if you ever had one of those moments I guess you do 
<laughs> I absolutely have had one of those moments. Now, some would say that psychology runs in your blood. Your dad was very into psychology and you actually worked alongside him. If I believe working with really high level athletes on the Chelsea soccer team, is this correct? Football team, you would say over there. So I'm curious during that time working with your dad alongside him, what you learned about athletes and high performance individuals in regards to their mental game. I learned lots. The first thing that I want to say is uh, um, it matters to me a lot to mention the privilege, first of all, to have access to such incredible opportunities. And so I want to name it. I don't give it for granted that your first internship is working for excellence. And it came because of some positionality in my uh, location, respect uh, with respect to privilege. And so that's truly important to name. So my first internship was with working with folks like David Beckham and massive champions. Did you ever make out with David Beckham? Never making out. But maybe, <laughs> maybe I made him a coffee once or maybe a photo coffee. You get to <laughs> massage David Beckham's groin. <laughs> Is that part of being a psychologist for the Chelsea football team? I might have brought him a glass of water, <laughs> you know, just the basic stuff as an internship. <laughs> right. So uh, the question around top athletes, I think it's a very interesting question because truly and really, first of all, athletes suffer just as human, common human beings we do. There's just a different level of comparison. You just compare mm. yourself to your teammate, David Beckham, as opposed as your neighbor. And on the flip side, there is also, for some, the ability to flip some neuroticisms or obsessive tendencies for good, right? So fundamentally, most athletes have a very strong neurotic drive to train, to achieve. So it was a very, very very interesting experience to be with top athletes and truly realizing that the part that I was most interested in was not so much the coaching excellence, but it was more understanding the the pain component. Mm, The pain. And you've spoken about it before with me about the patterns and starting to recognize the patterns and the things that trigger us into these pain patterns which I'm so excited to dive into because holy smokes, 2020 has been a wild ride for so many people. And whether you're in a place of privilege, whether you're not in a place of privilege, everybody is, is, has really, I think, taken a moment to reflect on some things and has been triggered in certain moments. I want to talk about how we navigate a time like this and manage to come out of it not feeling like a total disaster, (laughs) not feeling like we just got run over by a truck. So I guess to begin, let's talk about happiness in general. It is so natural for us as human beings to strive to be happy. And when I'm coaching women, we always start off by talking about what are your objectives and always it's, I want to feel happier in my body. I want to feel happier in my life. I want to feel more content. I want to feel 
you know, more calm. And, and there's definitely a desire to cultivate more of these emotions that we label as positive. Now, I think we all know at this point that it's not possible to be positive and happy 100% of the time. So my first question for you is, what is a normal amount of happy? How do you know if you're in a place where you're like a good level of happy versus not happy enough? I mean, we all know those people who are like pooping rainbows and there's like glitter coming out of their eyes 24-7. Is that what we should all be striving for? Can you talk to us a little bit about the paradigm of happiness? I would love to do that and to maybe first insert happiness more into a spectrum and to say that after the experience of having taken that master's program in positive psychology, I felt incredibly sad. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, there is, like you mentioned, a pressure uh, around this positivity and the toxicity of positivity. So there's folks that are genetically predisposed to be happier, and maybe we can take a moment and think in our lives who would be those people that have somehow like a natural predisposition to the rainbow and unicorns attitude. I know that I have one of my best friends. Her name is Fabrizia. She's the mother of four twins and she's incredibly prone to a way of experiencing life in flow and in joy. There is a genetic component there. But I was reflecting upon this conversation and truly how my idea of happiness has shifted after studying quite profoundly what happiness is. And I love to change the name and maybe call it psychological well-being. And if you were to to ask me, like, what would that characteristic be? What is it that we can sort of identify as a factor, I think most importantly would be resiliency. And so there is something quite special that we do in my training, in my meditation training that I used to do with my father in in excellence in performance. We use physiological parameters to measure reactions and emotions. So we use something called biofeedback and neurofeedback. And what we came across working both with top athletes and with clinical population is that sort of that key to psychological well-being is not so much those folks that are so lucky, like my friend Fabrizia, but is an element of resiliency, the quality of the elastic and how can I endure a global pandemic? How can I work in you know, and dismantle an uprising in terms of social justice? How can I exist in the world where when something personal will happen to me, so all of these difficulties, both personal and societal, I think the factor would be this element of being elastic, of being resilient, which I think has so much to do with the work that you're doing, Erin, and around the raw beauty, right? It's more about acceptance. It's more about softening. It's more about showing up, you know, wiggly butts, (laughs) no makeup (laughs) on a a bad hair day and being soft towards that. I think that would be a good way to frame happiness. Do you find something useful there? 
It's such a work in progress for me. I mean, even listening to you talk about this, my mindset automatically goes to, oh God, I am not resilient. Scott, my husband, he's definitely resilient, but I am crumbling under all of this. I mean, I can't even move houses and I get anxiety. My disposition is to think about the fact that I'm not resilient. But when I actually like take a breath and think about it, it's like I've survived an eating disorder. I've learned meditation. I had postpartum depression. I've got two kids. I've built business. Like there is a resiliency there, but it's so interesting how our tendency can somehow sometimes fall into not enough, not doing it right. So it's such a work in progress to catch those thoughts and to really recognize what's going on in your mind. And if I may slow us down, slow you down, slow myself and the friends who are listening, that is already happening, what you just modeled, right? The mind wanted to go somewhere in a place of possible happiness, a world where you are like your husband and you have it, right? And the naming it, the naming that that was, was happening to you in that very second a few moments ago, and then there is a moment of softening into that spectrum of psychological well-being, just like, oh, and here is me. And look at the things that in, that in this spectrum of life I have achieved and I keep achieving. And it turns out I am having these thoughts and at the same time having a very intelligent and I function in conversation with somebody. And so what you said is like it's a work in progress is your modeling it in this very moment. It just mm. already happened in front of us. And that's why I think your work resonates so much, friends of yours, uh, so much of our friends, because it's very honest. It is very vulnerable. It is very true. And just like, oh, I just caught it. Here it is. It's me. I'm not as happy as I should be. I'm not like my husband. And then just like, oh, but wait a moment. It's a spectrum. Here I just said that it's a spectrum, and here are the things that positions me in this spectrum, right? After all, I am a badass working mom, doing amazing things in the world, and also fallible and freaking anxious at times. Here I am in that spectrum. You nailed it. All, all the things over here in the bag of Aaron. So when we talk about resilience, because I don't think many people would think, you know, how do I become happier? How do I have a more positive dis disposition? And then their mind probably wouldn't immediately go to, I need to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. So first, can you really break down what does resilient mean? What does that look like day to day? Truly, my interest has become more and more embodiment and embodied practices and embodied discussions. So truly the first image that comes to mind, the first flavor is elastic, sugar candy, sugar floss, is a mattress, is a pillow. And so as we're listening to that, how does that resonate in the body? A resilient body yeah. is a soft body as opposed as a contracted body. Oh, yeah. Everyone listening right now, just notice is your body like a stiff board or a soft pillow right now? And can you start to maybe just close your eyes for a moment and imagine your body just melting a little bit, softening and letting go? Can you start to feel what Hero is saying resilience feels like when you embody it? 
because again, thanks to the valuable example you gave a few minutes ago, when we say things like immediately I thought I'm not that way, immediately if we go back to a few seconds ago, there is a contraction. And so the first thing is what images, what flavors, what invitations are conducive to softness? To me, it's a good entry door to resiliency. First thing. Second truly is when I look at it more from a data standpoint. So I told you that we've been measuring resiliency for a while. We hook up, we hook up athletes, we hook up clients and patients. And what does that look like? It looks like a few interesting things. It looks like we stress people for two minutes and then we give them two minutes to breathe and recover. And truly what we see is that we measure muscle tension. We see that muscle softening. We measure brain activity. We see that shifting from very fast activity called beta activity into imaginary visualization like alpha activity. We see breath and the heart rate slowing down. And we see temperature going up in our periphery, in our hands. So truly, once again, we go back to that, what you just did, taking a moment, taking a breath. I went away for a moment. I was lost in the future, in the past. And now let me truly be here, elastic, soft, sugar-flossed, gummy-beared, and I'm just verb making verbs of all of these delicious things. Mm, I love it. Painting such a visual. I'm also like, I'm like, I got to sign up for a session. I want to do one of these. But it's so fascinating when you can start to actually see that type of data. I mean, we all feel it in our bodies, the reality. We can feel when we're uptight and when we're stressed and when the anxiety's there, the overwhelm's there. We know when we're operating from that space to actually see it. It would be really fascinating. So is that like in simple, simple terms, our fight or flight response, you're measuring when it's on and then when it has turned off again and softened? Yeah, we measure sympathetic drive as opposed as parasympathetic or in other words, a term that's become also more familiar is vagal tone, vagus nerve, ventral vagal activation truly the possibility of, uh, of the body of the nervous system to come on board and, and regulate activity. Are we going to speed up the horse mm-hmm. of our bodies or, or are we going to slow down? And both are good. You know, there's nothing wrong around uh, fight or flight. And there's nothing intrinsically right about rest and digest. The, the trick is, again, that resiliency is how do I become a better rider horse rider of my horse and so yeah with that respect a number one yes we should hang out more often and we should play a little bit together and two yes data is is useful is important we used it a little bit like a trick to lure athletes into what we wanted to lure them in which is mindfulness yeah it's not necessary and essential to have data but it's it's a good entry door especially for those of us that have like more of data driven brains athletes and traditionally maybe more like not to stereotype maybe more a masculine population or simply more analytical brains yeah so 
when you talk about resiliency and you're imagining the gummy bear or the pillow or the mattress and the sense of sort of ease and softness. And then I love that you pointed out that it's okay if our body's in fight or flight and it's okay if our body's in rest and digest, that neither of those are bad. They're actually both really pivotal in order for our body to function and us to be able to survive and thrive in life. But would you say that in regards to moving us further along in the spectrum towards that happy state of well-being that we want to be in the rest and digest space more often than the fight or flight space? Yes and no. It depends. If you're a top athlete, you will want to go after that ball as if your life depended right. on it. And right. for, for some of us, you know, we have lives that require a high level of responsivity. I don't know if yeah. that's an English word. But what becomes truly, truly intriguing, truly interesting is not falling into the automatic response, right? Not being driven by the horse. And so, yes, the more I reside into that parasympathetic, in that resting, digesting, mattress, pillow, gummy beard, it becomes more available to me in a world where it's less common than the opposite response. And so the more I visit that place of ease, of slowness, of reflection, of consideration, of softness, the, the more it becomes available for when I need it. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. 
Put up your hand if you tend to be really all or nothing when it comes to health and wellness. Like you are eating all the most nourishing foods and all the ones that everyone's told you are the most healthy. You're working out, you're meditating, you're so committed, and then boom, something happens. You go to a birthday party, you have a weekend away, some sort of hard conversation has to happen at work, and all of a sudden you've been thrown completely off track. I feel yeah. I have been there so many times and I know that inevitably this cycle that we can get into leads to major feelings of disappointment and lowered self-esteem. When we're not feeling good in our body, that really impacts all areas of our life. I created the Raw Beauty Reset, in case you didn't hear already, our 12-week program, The Shift, got a rename. It's now called the Raw Beauty Reset. And this 12-week program was designed to help you really improve and find a healthier relationship with food and your body. We go through four main pillars, nourishment. You'll learn how to eat intuitively and in a way that feels balanced and incredibly nourishing for your body. Movement, learn how to create a sustainable workout plan that actually feels enjoyable to do. Mindset, you'll learn how to be more mindful, how to feel more calm and confident in who you are and then self-love, which is the constant act of knowing yourself and honoring who you are. To celebrate this refresh of our name, I'm now offering the Raw Beauty Reset for only three payments of $99. We have never done this before, so if you're finishing this summer off feeling like, again, you missed out on things because you just didn't feel comfortable in your body, or that you were eating all the things during the summer and you're just not feeling your best, this program is for you. 12 weeks. I want you to click the link in our profile to make sure that you get this offer while it lasts. We have the most incredible group of women going through the program right now. And I know I would love to have the opportunity to be your personal health coach for the next three months so that you wrap up 2020 feeling your absolute best from the inside out. Click the link in our profile right now to learn all about the Raw Beauty Reset. And of course, you can always send me a DM over on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks if you have any questions at all. So, okay. So from a psychological standpoint, this state of well-being or happiness, what's going on in our body when we're feeling that surge of happiness or joy from a physiological standpoint? Yeah, there's a few parameters that we also might be more familiar in a world where we talk about neurotransmitters. We might have heard about dopamine for sure, right? And again, I spoke about brain activity. So there is a pattern that's been studied by a neuroscientist that I highly, highly admired called Richard Davidson. And he's talking about more activity in the left prefrontal cortex, being able to sort of quiet the amygdala and quieting the negative part of the brain. So there's a few sort of correlates. Again, to me, the big one is that strong vagal tone, that strong ability, like you said, to either engage that response of action or of rest. Uh, Brain activity, dopamine, more activity in the left prefrontal cortex, less reactive amygdala, and most importantly, a good rider of the horse. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. That physiological parameter, 
would be strong and delicious and toned and generous vagus nerve. Mm. Vagus nerve that connects the brain, the back of our brain, a part called the medulla oblungata, and here my Italian strong accent comes to fruition. (laughs) And uh, goes uh, into the body, into all of our main visceral organs, heart, lungs, and then all the viscera, gut, and deep inside. And so that deep connection, that big communication where the, the vagus nerve is truly transmitting information both upwards and downwards from the brain to the body and vice versa that is like a good communication so like a good ceo that is a coo that is orchestrating the orchestra of our of our nervous system mm. a good orchestra director and so when i have that my sort of suggestion is that would be a happy resilient happy resourced human being and that's where i'm aiming and that's my quest, and that's where I want to bring folks with me, right? As opposed as a happiness boot camp is like a resiliency boot camp, a vagalton boot camp, a presencing boot camp. I love this concept so much. One thing I'm picking up on a little bit is this might not be correct, so I'll run it by you the response of the messages being carried up from your vagal nerve into your medulla oblongata and the chemical reaction that then occurs, the release of dopamine, et cetera, et cetera. This response sounds similar to what happens when our fight or flight response turns on, except for a different release of chemicals into the body. And I'm talking a lot about the fight or flight response right now because I'm currently spending a lot of time there and it's something that repeats often in my life. So I'm so fascinated by all of it. There's so many things that can trigger me back into that response. And I'm so lucky that now I have so many tools to help me feel more resilient and less like the horse is just carrying off with me, like falling off the back, trying to stay on. But, you know, I'm wondering when I think about the fight or flight response turning on, I always remind myself in those moments, all these feelings are impermanent. This is going to shift and change. I will not be stuck here forever. And just repeating sort of safe messages to myself and my body because it can feel uncomfortable. Happiness and those positive responses, the, the flood of dopamine into our body is also somewhat impermanent it wouldn't be normal for that to just kind of constantly be turned on, would it? Absolutely. What you said, it made me think of the first time I met you at a conference in Squamish and you were guiding the audience into a visualization and a little bit of that priming out of the fight or flight. And once again, yes, absolutely nothing is permanent, including dopamine. And that momentary fix of joy, of gummy bear, of uh, excitement, of reward. And so it's more about the discernment. It's more about the presencing in the body, the being here, the knowing that in the next moment something might happen that's scary and it will trigger me and or my lover will show up and I will feel incredibly, incredibly happy about that, (laughs) right? And then it'll be gone, right? So the medulla oblongata is a very ancient part of the brain 
And what it does, it's responsible of very primal automatic reactions in the body, just like breath, for example. And so when a message comes from the body that, let's say, we've taken a moment, we have engaged in out-breath, and so the heart rate as a consequence is being slowed down by vagal tone, so parasympathetic, then that message of a slowing heart goes up through the vagus nerve and somehow tricks the brain. The medulla oblongata is like a little bit of this very ancient, <laughs> blind, uh, blind characters. Like <laughs> it doesn't really see what's happening, but it's like blinded into thinking, oh, we are actually safe because the heart is telling me that she is uh, slowing down. So there might be some safety here for me to enjoy. And so it's not even conscious, it's not even rational, it's just a little bit of a tricking. But it's also important what you're constantly bringing up, that it will not always work, that it will always happen, that it's a normal state and it's a healthy state to feel triggered and scared. And can we soften into that normalcy? more than normalcy because normal is a weird word who is normal first of all but more like human it's a human response Mm -hmm. right yeah I think that the reason I find reassurance in the fact that everything is impermanent and and moving and shifting is that I hear this all the time from clients and I experience it myself is that sometimes we almost have this underlying fear when you really start talking to people about feeling joy or happiness mm-hmm. because we're afraid that it will be taken away. Like, mm-hmm. What if I get that job? What if I start working out, my body changes a bit, but I can't keep it up. Mm-hmm. There's such a fear of losing the happiness or what it often is worded as with clients is I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid that I won't be able to do it or maintain it or keep it. And so I think you know, what's really been a positive shift in mindset for me is if everything is shifting and changing and moving and evolving, then all we really have is the present moment, is the ability to feel the happiness in the moment and then to sit with the anxiety, to feel the low moment, and then to allow the happiness to move through again when it comes we of course can take action in our life. I'm not saying just sit passively in the background waiting for emotions to pass by you. We can, there are certain things and we're going to talk about that next that we can do to help cultivate some of the good feelings. But at the end of the day, yeah, all we have is the very moment that we're in. And so there's a bit of a practice of softening into that moment, whether it's happiness or sadness or whatever it is. You know, if we want to offer like an easier framework, let's go back to what we said earlier and let's test it. So I'm going to ask you a question. Let's not take our own words for given, but let's, let's experiment if they're actually useful. And when I hear you say, you know, some of us or I, Erin or Hiro, we could be in a way scared of success or happiness because that would also go away. So if we were to take that framework of embodiment and being in the body, the question would be, when you're thinking of, will I get that job or will I lose that person? 
I will get that happiness and then it will be gone. Is it more an experience of softness or is it again going back into that tension in the body? And so I think that we're coming to a beautiful weaving of our two voices in that that present moment is a softening, is resiliency, is realizing that there is absolutely nothing other than this very second. And therefore, ah, what you just did. And therefore, I can soften, I can surrender 10% more of my weight to this chair that is supporting me, right? Mm. And so, yeah, I, I love to experiment what I say. As I'm aging, just like, I want to just be useful. And I want to just test what I say and see if it's useful. You are so useful. And and helping so many women and just have such a beautiful way of, I mean, your essence is calming just being around you and listening to you speak. You can tell that you embody so much of what you're teaching right now and so much of your practice. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned, there are some tools that we can use to help us soften to help us build resiliency. And I'm wondering if you could walk us through some of those so that everybody leaves this episode with some juicy takeaways that they can start incorporating into their own life should they want to. Yes, only under the agreement that we all know that the tools will be useful unless when they will not. (laughs) And so that it's, again, not about grasping and tensing towards tools, but that we can invite practices, like you said, as a work in progress that have the likelihood, the chance, the possibility of up-toning our system a little bit. So number one, gummy bears <laughs> eat them eat all the gummy bears <laughs> as someone that also struggled for the longest time with eating disorders there is an element around that softening around a little bit of exceptions to the rule and fun playfulness and food that we would normally eat so I use that as a metaphor and yes. I was using that so much so that a local gummy bear company called me and <laughs> hired me to run some gummy bears meditation so (laughs) shout out to that amazing (laughs) so that as a metaphor take it easy make it playful grab a bunch of gummies or fresh apple and savor it apple apple slices and take a moment to savor and pleasure juiciness that would be one two As you know, I am just like you are, very keen on the practice of what we might call mindfulness. It's become a little bit of a fad word, but presence and aware and kind awareness with the breath. So that's a second one that takes us into that invitation of the present moment in a way that's soft and diligent at the same time. So... I often talk about five, five, seven breathing. So breathing in for five, holding for five and breathing out for seven, which isn't exactly mindfulness on its own. It's that's breath work, a, a form of breath work. When you say mindfulness, so somebody who's like, I want to be more mindful, but like, how do I actually practice that? Do you have any 
kind of tangible tools, concepts to help somebody really embody what that would feel like if they haven't done it before. Yeah, counting the breath is there's something, nothing wrong, all the contrary. So even a practice like what you described, that is quantifying the brain again as a starter and again for those of us that have more analytical and chattery brains, it's a useful practice. Once again, more looking more into embodied practices would be to notice or be in relationship with the movement a few centimeters below our belly button and noticing that actually when we breathe, wow, it's incredible. So much happens and the belly is expanding with the in-breath and then it's just resting with the out-breath. And can I, for three moments, minutes, be in relationship with that, it could be sensations or visualizing, you know, waves that come up and down. Certainly spending time with the out-breath would be plus-plus because we're both being mindful and resourcing the parasympathetic system that you were talking about. Love it. Perfect. That's, um, I love that visualization of the area and space just beneath your belly button. And just, I mean, nobody ever pays attention to that area. When was the last time you checked in with that space? Maybe just start trying that and noticing. Beautiful. I love that. So the third guideline, the third trick after gummy bears and being residing and abiding in the belly (laughs) would be uh, one of my favorites because I live in Canada and the ocean is so cold. And uh, so cold water. Uh, I am privileged and lucky enough to live on this land. And the ocean is luckily so close that sitting and taking a dip in cold water and experiencing that once again as can I soften into something that normally I would call, I would call cold or I would call unpleasant. And can I train the possibility of being in relationship with cold oh i love that you mentioned this one do you love it too i'm so privileged as well to live in whistler where we have lakes and to have access to the ocean and i was somebody who for years i mean i loved the ocean when i was younger and then after my eating disorder, I lost so much weight and I was just constantly cold. And I had a real fear of being cold for years after, even when my weight recovered. It's only been really in the last two years that I've let myself experience the joy of like lakes and ocean and finding my breath again and realizing I'm okay. And I'm quite obsessed with it now. And the impact that it seems to have on me mentally and physically is just very profound. Like I'm real, I I know everyone's talking right now about Wim Hof and Wim Hof breathing and his ice baths. And there's something there. There's something there. And now you're mentioning it as well. So can you access this just from a shower if you are somebody who does not have a lake or an ocean nearby? Yeah, and, and, and also what you brought up is a very good, very good point. One of the other privileges that I behold is to not suffer mental illness at this stage. And so we need to be mindful that it might be a little bit too much for some of us. And so experimenting with cold water could mean t- dipping our toes 
into cold water. It could be uh, placing our hands in our bucket or the sink with uh, cold water. It could absolutely be the shower for those of us that don't have the privilege of having natural ocean, cold ocean. Um, so very, very good points that you're bringing up. And yeah, for closure, that again speaks to vagal tone and how there is a natural mammalian response of the medulla oblongata of older centers of the brain that would quiet down when we especially immerse our face into cold water. So it's to try. The agreements were, I'm going to give guidelines only if we take them with the agreement that maybe they will work, maybe not. Options to try, options to try. It's so interesting about the cold water when I think about my initial response is to tighten up. But as you said, we use this as an opportunity to practice allowing ourselves to soften. It's the same almost as in yoga when you get into a really hard, challenging position and you're asked to breathe and to connect your body and you get through the pose somehow and you feel like, oh, I just did that. I was resilient. I made it through. So I love these little ways that we can practice honing our resilience when we're not in a real life situation where, you know, your nervous system and your creepy little medulla oblongata have taken off on you <laughs> blindly. She's now you're doing her job. Just doing her job. Just doing her job. Amazing. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Where can everyone find you if they um, would like to connect with you further? Thank you so much for having me and offering me your platform. You can find me in all the good old places. So either on my website, www.vancouverbrainlab.com or thelabofmeditation.com or on Instagram. Uh, I'm not yet on TikTok like I saw you are wiggling <laughs> your, your part. And those videos are so funny. <sighs> so in the lab with Hero on Instagram or again, the lab of meditation and this, uh, the lab underscored. Beautiful. We will make sure we link to all of those. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to copy the link, send it over to somebody else who you think it might support. And remember, as always, your story, your body, your mind, your journey are unique. So take everything that we've talked about in this episode and think about what really resonated with you and leave the rest behind. (laughs) Have a beautiful day, everyone. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.